0: So let's get into today's message and we're in a series at the moment, just a four-part series looking at emotional health and considering different biblical characters as we do that. So Jonathan started the series a couple of weeks ago giving a really helpful introduction and overview into this area of emotional health. I'd really encourage you to listen to that on our podcast which you can find a link on our website if you haven't yet managed to do that. Then last week, the the guy who leads Trinity Church was here, Duncan, and he spoke really helpfully, looking at Elijah, talking about anxiety uh, and stress and and how we can deal with that. Unfortunately, that one hasn't been able to be recorded, so you won't be able to listen to that one back. But it was really just helpful. uh, And you haven't missed out completely because there are other tools I'm going to flag up in a minute. I think the aim of why we're trying to do this is we're very aware looking at emotional health, that God has created us as joined-up beings. We're not just physical, we're not just spiritual, but we're emotional and mental, and every aspect interacts with one another. And the state of our emotional health has a huge impact on our whole lives, and the Bible has much to say about it. So the reason why we're doing this series is we want to help all of us walk into greater freedom in our lives, to be healthier emotionally, and just to give permission... To be able to talk about these things because so often i think in sadly in church life and maybe just in society generally we're not necessarily given permission to talk and to process some of the things that we face in life so really by doing this series we're saying look you have permission please do talk if you feel there's things going on in your lives that you just are struggling with let's not bottle things up let's talk and I think this series very much is just the start of a conversation for many of us. And there's so many more places. You might feel, that's just touching the surface. And, and realistically, that is all we can do in the short bits of time we have from the front on a Sunday. But it might be an area you feel really interested in and want to find out more. And there's masses of resources out there. I know because most of my reading in the last two years or so has been around emotional and mental health. And I'm going to Make no apologies. I'm going to flag up some really helpful books on this topic. Okay, we've got the big images coming up there so you can see them as well. So one that was mentioned a couple of weeks ago was this book called The Emotional Healthy, Emotionally Healthy Church by a guy called Peter Scazzaro. Really, really helpful. Just goes through working out and helping us to unpack emotions and express them in a biblical way. So really, really helpful. It even comes with a workbook that you can buy as well if you so wish. I'm going to be quoting from him a little bit later because he has a chapter on the topic we're particularly focusing on today. So that's one. Another one that um, Duncan mentioned last week was The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry um, by John Mark Comer. Really, really good. As he said, he hadn't actually got time to read it. um, But there we go. I have read it and I can thoroughly thoroughly recommend it. The great news is, for anyone who, who struggles with reading, it looks like a really fat book. But if you, if you can see, there's loads of spaces between each line and it's quite big font. So it doesn't actually take very long to read at all. Really, really helpful. Thoroughly recommend that one. Then um, the most recent book I've read actually is by Christine Kane, How Did I Get Here? Uh, really good just looking at all, well, you know, there's drift happens in our lives with different things going on. And we can end up in a place where we didn't imagine we'd be. And where's God in all this? So it's helpful kind of linking that up and joining that up. Uh, one that I've mentioned before whole series of books by Patrick Regan uh, this one's called Bouncing Forward which is his most recent one looking at kind of when we face knocks and difficulties in life what do we do about it God has a good, a good plan that can lead us forward so very very useful and helpful book um, one that many of us will be aware of because we did the un- many of us did the unanswered prayer course uh, in our community groups if you haven't watched that thoroughly recommend it google it It's a five-part video series you can watch. Uh, This is the accompanying book that goes with it called God on Mute, which is now quite an old book. I think it's over 20 years old, but really, really helpful by Pete Gregg. Very, very helpful. In fact, this latest edition has got a 40-day devotional that you can do, and I'm planning to do that during Lent this year. Um, So I'm not going to offer to lend that one to anyone because I want to do that myself. But any of these, if anyone wants to borrow them, you are very, very welcome. And then the last two books are particularly relevant for the topic we're going to be looking at today, which is grief and loss. And these are two autobiographies by two widowers, young widowers, who sadly lost their uh, wives very, very quickly. So one is a guy called Danny Gokey. I'm not sure how many of you have heard of him. He's an American Christian singer who appeared on American Idol. um, And yeah, his wife died very suddenly. So it's his book as he processes that called Hope in Front of Me, uh, Find Purpose in Your Darkest Moments, very very honest and raw as he processes grief. And this other one by a British guy, Simon Thomas, who many of you will know if you're of a certain age, he was a Blue Peter presenter, but he's also more recently been presenting uh, Sky Sports Football. Um, And he, again, lost his wife tragically, very quickly, actually. And um, it's him being really, really raw and open about how he processed things. So, thoroughly recommend. Lots and lots of book resources there. Anyone is very welcome to borrow them. Okay. Actually, I need one of those in a minute, Selway. All right. So, just over seven years ago, we said goodbye to my dad. He died after uh, being diagnosed with pancreatic cancer. He was diagnosed in the beginning of October and he died Christmas Eve, 2014. It was a very, very fast process and as you can imagine we experienced all sorts of emotions. I experienced all sorts of emotions and feelings. Anger, that he'd just been taken so quickly, denial, he can't possibly have gone, he's going to turn up, he's going to walk back through the door again. Fear, what's it going to be like now without dad around? Disappointment, there was so much more I would have loved to have done with him. All these emotions raging. One of the most traumatic losses I have faced so far in my life. Not the only loss, and I'm sure there's many of us in this room that have faced all sorts of loss and are facing all sorts of loss, particularly on the back of going through this two-year period now of the COVID pandemic being around. Grief, loss, bereavement, so many of us are feeling it. And it comes in all sorts of ways and as a result of all sorts of different things. Yes, death certainly leaves us grieving. But it might also be after being experiencing abuse, there's that sense of a loss. Or a, a relationship catastrophically coming apart, through a divorce or separation. There's all those really traumatic events that happen because that's what happens in life. And it's horrendous and heartbreaking. But there's also other losses that happen Maybe it's a you know, loss of job. Maybe it's a, just a drifting apart as people move to different places, that sense of the relationships now lost. Maybe it's, certainly for many of us over these last couple of years, plans having to be changed because COVID meant that we couldn't do this, we couldn't have that particular holiday or we couldn't go and see those particular people. Sometimes there's even loss on the back of Really, really exciting and good things because change inevitably means that one thing has to be left behind as you move into something else. You know, if you've got children as they enter different stages of life, as they move perhaps from nursery into primary school, primary school to secondary school, secondary school to university, which is what we're facing at the moment with our son. It's exciting, and it's obviously it's right that those changes happen, but there's a sense of loss at times that that moment has passed. So I think grief and loss comes about in all sorts of ways, in different levels. And grief is real and right. But the question is, how do we handle that grief? What should we do with it? Well, today we're going to consider this topic by looking at Mary, Jesus' mother. And we're going to use that as a springboard into how we can look at a process for handling grief and loss, whatever the reason might be. In fact, I would say it's, either, it's a great process for handling any sort of emotions, not just grief and loss. You know, Jesus' mother, Mary, is sometimes known as the mother of sorrows. And it may be that we don't particularly think of her beyond the Christmas story. You know, maybe many of us kind of, yeah, we hear about it all leading up to Christmas, about Mary having the visit from Gabriel and then Joseph having the visit from the angel and then travelling down to Bethlehem and the baby being born and then these different visitors visiting and, and maybe we might go as far as them escaping to Egypt and then settling home in Nazareth, but perhaps we don't really stop and think about the rest of what mary has experienced and actually she does pop up occasionally throughout the gospels interacting with jesus at different points in his life there's that moment when he was a boy perhaps 12 or 13 in the temple and he stayed behind asking questions of the temple leaders while his family traveled back were traveling back home and they realized he wasn't there so his parents came back and they we're talking to him about it, or that perhaps there's the time you might be aware of at the wedding in Canaan, where they ran out of wine, and Mary called on Jesus to help, and he turned water into wine. Or maybe the occasion where Mary and uh, Jesus' brothers turn up at the house where Jesus was, and he got this message, "Oh your, your family's outside." Or maybe you're aware that she was at the foot of the cross when her son was dying. As we consider Mary, there's such a sense of wonder as well as pain that comes through. We've got the highs of that moment after the angel has spoken to her and she sings that song to God that's known as the Magnificat to the incredible lows that it must have been seeing her son hanging on a cross. There's an occasion just after, or fairly soon after Jesus was born, where Mary and Joseph present Jesus to the temple in line with the Jewish traditions. And they encounter an old man called Simeon there. And I just want us to read that together for a moment. So I'm going to read it. And just this is the story in Luke 2, verses 25 to 35. Now, there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was on him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. Moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts. When the parents brought in the child Jesus to to do for him what the custom of the law required, Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, As you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all nations, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. The child's father and mother marvelled at what was said about him. Can you imagine being Mary and Joseph at that point? They turned up to dedicate their son in the traditions of the law, and then this man brings this incredible prophecy about what Jesus is going to achieve. And this is on the back of what Mary and Joseph already heard directly from the angel. They must have been buzzing. No wonder it says, they marveled at what was said about him. But it goes on. Then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, This child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be spoken against so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed. Pretty good, amazing stuff. Oh, but wait. And a sword will pierce your own soul too. Wow. So right in there, in that early moment, yes, Jesus is going to be this incredible saviour who we still hear about today and love and worship, he is our wonderful saviour. But, they're told, a sword would pierce your soul. soul. Wow. How would you react to that? They must have been wondering, what does this mean? Mary could only guess at that time what it would mean. You know, we know, looking back, what it means. That moment, 30 odd years later, when he's hanging on a cross. In fact, Jesus, we know from the gospel, says that his sword pierced his side. So you can imagine as the sword is physically piercing Jesus' side on the cross, Mary's soul is being pierced. You can imagine through this 30 year period, Mary watching and looking on, having those words ringing in her head that yes, her son was going to be the mighty saviour of the Jewish nation and flowing out to the Gentiles, to all of us, but this kind of warning that something was going to happen as well, that was going to be hard. And we hear it, don't we, in John 19. Verses 25 to 27, near the cross of Jesus stood his mother, his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus saw his mother there and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to her, woman, here is your son, and to the disciple, here is your mother. From that time on, this disciple took her into his home. There it is, that moment when the sword pierces her soul. But isn't it amazing, even in that moment, God's care of Mary. Even in that moment where Jesus is hanging on a cross, he looks down at Mary and he looks at the disciple John and he arranges care and support for her. God doesn't leave her in that moment of pain. He provides and helps her. And we know Jesus rose again. And so Mary would get to be with him again and see Jesus. Although then fairly shortly afterwards he was taken up into heaven. So then another lost moment. But in that moment on Good Friday, what might she have done in her grieving? What, where might she have turned? Well, we know that she was someone who knew scripture. You know, the Bible doesn't give a very much detail at all other than what you've just heard there. She was there at the foot of the cross. But we know she was a woman who was faithful to God and she knew scripture. So she almost certainly looked to him in this moment, in the crying out, in the pain. As that sword pierced her soul, it's almost certainly that she looked to God, looked to scriptures, and especially to the Psalms. I'm sure, no doubt, she also turned to family and friends as well. The Psalms show us a process, and I want to just look at that process right now of how biblically we can handle grief and loss. And very simply, it's, there's three steps. Well, it's got to be as a preach, isn't it? We so often have three points. So here they are. Be honest, express, and decide. So first of all, if we're feeling and experiencing grief and loss, the first thing is to be honest. Honest to ourselves. Acknowledge that we actually are feeling that. You know, so often when we go through a period of grief and loss, there is that inevitable denial, pushing it aside. But it doesn't go away. So the first step is just to be honest. Yeah, I'm actually feeling this. It hurts. When my dad died, I had to deal with it, I had to recognize it. He was not going to be around anymore. And he was a big character. We had to get used to that. In fact, you know, seven years on, we're still getting used to that as a family as I'm sure many of you are who've lost loved ones. But the first step is just to be honest, to acknowledge it, to accept the reality of the loss. That has happened. Secondly, it's to express it. As I said, there's no good bottling up. It doesn't just go away. There's a biblical... Idea of called lamenting and I think we have lost that as a society and maybe even in church there's an importance of lament lamenting what do I mean by that well I mean an honest heartfelt conversation with God about where we're at in that moment it's based on the belief that God is just and good and faithful but it's, and that he's our loving father. But it's that coming to him and saying, God, this really hurts. This sucks. This is painful. And you know what? He's not going to be rocked by that. But it does us such good to lament, to process it, to articulate exactly what we're feeling and thinking on the back of the grief and loss. His shoulders are broad; he can cope. I came across this uh, great lament on the Evangelical Alliance website. It's actually written for in November 2020, so kind of first year into the pandemic. It's called the Advent Lament, and it says this: Frustration is building as we slowly contemplate a Christmas, perhaps without loved ones and well-worn traditions. We hear the science and the logic and tell ourselves that needs must. However, we can't hide forever the emotions this crisis is bringing out in us. Frustration can build to anger and fear can lead to desolation. But probably the most dangerous reaction is to ignore the emotion and simply bury it deep within us. That well-trodden path is the way to depression and deeper distress. So how do we walk this journey with Christ? Being true to ourselves, processing the emotions and responding to the context. The Bible has an ancient practice that is made for such situations. Lament. Lament expresses our frustrations, fears, anger and disappointment to God in prayer. So we join with the psalmist and cry out in troubled times, being honest and direct, complaining and and railing against the situation to, to, to lament is to ask questions, even of God, to shout out, to shake with frustration, and then to pray, to intercede for others, for our places, for family and ourselves. It's so important that we express what we're feeling, not to bottle up. And the best person, the first person we should be expressing to is God. Express the pain, the emotions For me, it was the anger that this moment had gone with my dad. The guilt. The sadness, the disappointment. It's so important that we don't skip this part. You know, as good Christians, what is that term anyway? But so often we think, oh, well, I just need to to just trust in God. I just need to declare he's good. Yet there's a time for that, and we're coming to that. But unless we take time to be honest with ourselves and express to God where we're at, we're not going to know that freedom and that healing that he wants. Let's get real with God in those moments. Psalm 31, 9 and 10 says, Be merciful to me, Lord, for I am in distress. My eyes grow weak with sorrow, my soul and body with grief. My life is consumed by anguish and my years by groaning. My strength fails because of my affliction and my bones grow weak. When did you last get like that with God? Because the psalmists do. We can use them to help us. If we're feeling a little bit wary of that approach, we can use them to help us. If grief threatens to overwhelm you or me, What about try saying this? My soul is weary with sorrow. Strengthen me according to your word. That's Psalm 119, verse 28. And the wonderful thing is, when we come to Father God, we're met with compassion and love. You know, Jesus himself was known as a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. That's how he was described in Isaiah. We're not coming to some distant God who has no empathy of this but Jesus himself walked this earth and he knew what it was to grieve we know he he wept when his friend Lazarus died and although he was going to raise him back to life he wept in the moment because of the hurt and the pain particularly what he could see happening to those around like Mary and Martha so we need to express we need to get real with God use the Psalms to help And I'd also encourage, talk with others. You're not alone, as Duncan said last week. We're not alone. doesn't mean that we have to talk to everyone we meet, but we should all feel there's two or three people in this church or close family and friends that we can talk to. Again, for me, around my dad dying... That was so important to be able to talk to God, but also to talk to trusted family and friends about what was going on. Knowing they'd just be standing there with me, just listening. There's a note for all of us. Actually, we need to be ready to take on that role for those people around us who we know are grieving. We need to be ready to listen, not turning away from those who are grieving. Because sometimes I think there can be an awkwardness. Well, what can we say? What can we do? I don't what if I get it wrong? But do you know what? People who are really grieving, they just want to know that they're loved and cared for. You know, Job is someone who went through such difficult times and he had some friends that gathered around him. And actually for a while, they did a pretty good job because they did sit with him and listen. It was when they started opening their mouths and offering advice, then it went a bit wrong. Romans 12, 15 says, Rejoice with those who rejoice and mourn with those who mourn. That's what church community should be about. Yes, we should be able to celebrate and rejoice when someone, you know, passes an exam or someone uh, gets a promotion at work or someone gets married. Yes, we want to be doing that, absolutely. But also we want to be people who draw alongside those and grieve and mourn with those who are mourning. We need to be ready to do that for one another. So we need to be honest with ourselves, acknowledge that we have experienced a loss and are experiencing a loss. We need to express it to God and to others. And then, this is the step that so often we like to rush to, then we can decide, we can decide what we're going to do. To decide to put our trust in God and in his promises. To believe he is indeed good and faithful. And to declare that he is. We can plan and make choices about what we want to do on the back of experiencing this loss. We can make that decision. Yes, I'm going to cling to God's promises as we work through our grief. As it says in Isaiah 40 verse 29, he gives power to the weak and to those who have no might. He increases strength. We can hold on to that promise. We can hold on to the promise from the Beatitudes where it says, Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. For me, there were three passages that really helped me in the lead up to and after my dad's death. And I made a point of reminding myself. In fact, I stuck it on my wardrobe door. I printed it and stuck it on my wardrobe door. If we can have the next picture. fact it's still there now because it's such good truth and Natasha referred to one of them this morning. These are ones that I chose to declare almost daily during the immediate time around that. But I still come back to. Isaiah 41 10. Fear not for I am with you. Be not dismayed for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. How I needed to be reminded of that. There were times when I felt so weak and Crumbling. God says, I will help you. I will uphold you. Psalm fifty-six, three. When I am afraid, I put my trust in you. It's that acknowledgement. Yes, there are times when we do feel afraid and fearful, but we're going to make that decision. This is what it's about, deciding. Well, we can't do that really unless we've been honest and expressed. Then we make the decision. Yes, I am worried. I am fearful. I am struggling with the aftermath of this loss but i'm going to trust you and lamentations 3 21 24 if you're in any doubt about lamenting there's a whole book in the bible called lamentations this i call to mind and therefore i have hope the steadfast love of the lord never ceases his mercies never come to an end they are new every morning great is your faithfulness the Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I will hope in Him. In that dark moment, the end of December 2014 and into January 2015, and in subsequent dark moments, because it's not been the only one, I'm sure all of us, so many of us have felt, faced loss in recent times. I chose to worship God, I chose to believe His promises. And I chose to continue the legacy that my father had left. He was someone who loved God passionately. He had demonstrated such an incredible love of God and of people. In fact, that's what he's got on his gravestone. Love God and love people. It's as simple as that. It's the the greatest commandment summed up, isn't it? And I felt... At his funeral, that commissioning, the mantle being passed on to me. This is what your dad did. This is what you ought to do. I made that decision. That God wanted to use what had been painful to help others. And isn't that what it says in 2 Corinthians 1? 1. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves receive from God. That's just such a wonderful passage. God is the God of comfort. He's the one who initiates comfort in that pain and that struggle he gives it to us he meets us in our needs helps us through so that we then are in an even better position actually to then comfort others because we've experienced the comfort in pain and difficulty doesn't that help shift our thinking in the loss and the moment actually god doesn't want us to be in pain and hurt but he can use it to then be a blessing to others I promised you a quote from this book, so I'm going to to keep that promise and read you just a little extract as we come towards the end here. So this is from the chapter all about grief and loss in this book. In the fall of 1991, Jerry and Linda Sitzer, along with his mother and their four children, ranging from ages two to eight, were driving in their minivan on a lonely stretch of highway in rural Idaho. They had been visiting a nearby Native American Indian reservation as a school project for their two oldest children. They seemed, as friends described them, like the $2 million family. They felt as if they were living on top of the world. 10 minutes into their drive home, Sitsa noticed a car traveling toward them extremely fast. He slowed down at a curve the oncoming car, traveling at eighty-five miles an hour, crashed headlong into their minivan. The driver was drunk. In one moment, Sitzer lost three generations: his mother, his wife, and their four-year-old daughter. He writes, "In one moment, my family, as I had known and cherished it, was obliterated." Sitzer sat on that lonely highway, watching them die. The driver of the other car was eventually declared not guilty and set free because it could not be proven beyond the shadow of a doubt at the trial that he, not his pregnant wife, who had died in the accident, had been driving the car. Sitzer wrote a book about his descent into an abyss of grief and incomprehensible pain that changed his life. Under the title A Grace Disguised, How the Soul Grows Through Loss, he writes, catastrophic loss by definition precludes recovery it will transform us or destroy us but it will never leave us the same there is no going back to the past it is not therefore true that we become less through loss unless we allow the loss to make us less grinding our soul down until there is nothing left loss can also make us more i did not get over my loved ones Rather, I absorbed the loss into my life until it became part of who I am. Sorrow took up permanent residence in my soul and enlarged it. One learns the pain of others by suffering one's own pain, by turning inside oneself, by finding one's own soul. However painful, sorrow is good for the soul. The soul is elastic like a balloon. It can grow larger through suffering. As I said, this series, I think, is the start of a conversation, start of a discussion for many of us. And in this area of grief and loss, I'm aware that so many of us are grieving in different ways, whether it's a result of a catastrophic traumatic event in our lives or lots of smaller things, but they add up. Grief is real and right. It's important that we process it and we process it in a way that will then lead us into freedom and being emotionally healthy. So let's be honest with ourselves that we do experience loss, that we are feeling pain and hurt and anger and sadness and disappointment on the back of it. Let's express it to God and to trusted friends around us. And then let's decide to trust God And decide how we then go forward. Going on from here. If this is an area that is kind of life for you. If this is something that you want to know more about. As I said there's, there's the books I flagged up. The Unanswered Prayer course is also fantastic. Even if you've watched it before. You could watch it again. There's some incredible interviews. Including one from Simon Thomas on there. I'd encourage you to read some of those laments in the Psalms. Use them as a tool to articulate how you're feeling. Maybe on the back of reading those, you want to write your own lament to God. Talk about your loss with others. And for all of us, let's get good at listening and helping those around us who are grieving and are feeling a sense of loss. Because what this pandemic's shown us is there are so many people in that position, both in the church and beyond. We're called to be their hope. Let's make sure we've processed things well so that we can comfort from the comfort we've received. I'm just going to pray. If the band could come up, it'd be great just to finish with one final song. Yeah. Yeah. Father, there's so many of us who are grieving. There's so many of us who are feeling a sense of loss. Help us. Help us to process the pain. Help us to process the anger, the disappointment, the sadness. We want to walk into freedom. We want to live emotionally healthy lives. But we need help. So help us, Lord. Let us know the comfort that comes from the God of all comfort. And Lord, as we process our pain and grief, I pray that we would be changed, that our soul would be enlarged so that we're even better placed to comfort those around us. Thank you, Lord. Amen.